Good morning. I almost didn't think I was coming up after that first one. We are here talking about in this series called None Like Him. If you've been here with us these last four weeks, the immutability of God. Now, that's a big word. What does that actually mean? It means that God's character essentially does not change. Right? That is, um, that there's, his knowledge does not grow. Right? Think about that. It's hard, again, uh, for us to appreciate it. That God's knowledge, think of my own life, your life, you know, from this year to last year, from last year to this year, my knowledge has grown. Certainly in the course of my life, my knowledge has grown about myself, about the world uh, itself, my friends, the, you know, the people that I know, my job, etc. God's knowledge does not grow. Not only about the world itself, but his personal knowledge does not grow, right? He knows everything there is to know about you. The day that you were born, he knew the entire story of your entire life, of all of us. His personal knowledge does not grow. This is what the immutability or the changelessness of God means. He, is not going, he does not become more holy over the course of time. He does not become more steadfast. He is always these things to the uttermost. And the question in my few minutes this morning is, what a difference does that make or can that make uh, in our lives? Passage I want to look at, if you have a copy of the Bible in front of you, James chapter 1. And we're looking at just a couple verses, verses 16 through 18 of James chapter 1 right near the end of your New Testament, just a little shy of the book of Revelation, James chapter 1, verses 16 through 18. Follow along as I read. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. First point I want to say, the essence of this message, is that our salvation rests in the fact that God cannot change, right? Our salvation rests in the fact that God cannot. Now, the, 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 the context of these few verses that I read, let me just say a few words about him. He's essentially talking very practical Many people, I talked to some people recently, oh, the book of James is my favorite book in the Bible, and it's, James is the, you know, the brother uh, of, of the Lord Jesus, his, um, you know, the, the, the uh, stepbrother of the Lord Jesus, and it's very similar, some people say, to the teaching of Jesus himself. It's very practical, very boots on the ground, you know. James is very much, you know, what, how, what is it, what, what it going to take for me to make my way in the world as a Christian? You know, it's very practical. And in the opening verses, and we won't look at them, he's essentially talking about what, what, how do we find help from God in the difficulties of life? Consider it pure joy. I didn't read these, verse 2 of the first chapter. Whenever you face trials of many kinds, say, listen, how can God or a relationship with God help you with the difficulties and the challenges of everyday life? And the idea, right, our salvation rests in the fact that God doesn't change, what he wants to say is this, although people will break their promises to you, right, and to me, 
In fact, the, the, peop, the closest people in you, there's not a person in this room, there's not a person connected to any people in this room who always keep their word 100%. It's not possible, right? But people will break their promises. Institutions will break their promises to you. Your doctor will break his promises to you. But God's promises can always be counted on. That's what he's saying. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights. Who does not change like shifting shadows? Saying, listen, I want you to think about something. Every perfect gift, whatever that is, right? Behind the gift... Right, Because every, even every gift has a date stamp on it. But behind every gift is the God who created, by the way, right, the heavenly light. He's talking about the stars. And this is still true in our days still, perhaps. But in, the, in those days, there probably was not a more um, permanent, consistent, you know, tangible reality to the people who lived in this day, maybe in our own, to say the stars, the heavenly lights, those things that you wake up, you know, that, you, that we always wake up and they're always in the same place and they are an amazing uh, physical reality that seem to be fixed in the sky. But even those are God's creation. All good and perfect gifts come down from the, from the God who created those who does not change like shifting shadows. Now, I don't know exactly what that metaphor means, but I think it's, I'm going to take it at face value. You know, if, you, if I'm standing, any of us, right? If I'm standing at the, in, in, in the shadow, if I, my, my body makes a shadow from the sun, right? Depending on where I'm standing, depending on the placement, I might look four feet tall. I might look seven feet tall, right? That's a shifting shadow depending where I'm standing. All he's saying is this. You know, God doesn't, God is not the kind of person who changes his mind. God is not the kind of person who, you know, wakes up one day on the wrong side of the bed. God is, God doesn't have bad moods and good moods. He is not like a shifting shadow. He is the same every single day. His character is consistent throughout all the course of time. God's character is, is, is morally perfect. It's unchanging. Psalm 1831 simple uh, uh, focused word you could quote throughout the Bible. Who, for who is God besides the Lord and who is the rock except our God? Now that um, idea of God as the rock is used over 50 times in the Bible. Old Testament, New Testament. It's used 20 times alone just in the Psalms and it's, it's again like the stars which was used in verse 17. It's trying to say, trying to give us some understanding. We can't fully uh, appreciate it because our lives aren't like that. None of us are changeless. We change certainly from month to month, from year to year in the course of our lives. We may change our opinions. We may change our emotions. We may get mad or angry in the course of one day. So it's hard for us. In that sense, God is nothing like us. But he is like the stars, like a rock. He is absolutely, totally unchanging, right? Who is God besides the Lord? Who is the rock except our God? And what does that mean when it comes to a relationship with you and me, right? Uh, one other verse, Hebrews chapter 6. If you have a copy, just turn a little bit left in your New Testament. The writer of Hebrews says these words about the, about the, the person of God and the promises of God. Verse 16. He's talking about Abraham. I'm cutting in the middle of this commentary, but he's talking about Abraham. 
And when Abraham offers his son um, Isaac, if you remember that story, it's a beautiful moment uh, of faith to, um, on, on the altar. His one son, his promised son, and it's a test of Abraham's faith. And God is so impressed with the faith of Abraham that he was willing to let his son. And God said, listen, because you have done this thing and you have not withheld your only son from me, you believed so much in me, right? Abraham was the father of faith. You trusted. It says in the book of Hebrews in another chapter will say, Abraham believed so much in God as if God could raise him from the dead. That's what it said. He didn't know how, he, how this was going to work itself out, but he was willing to do what God said. And God said, because you have done what I've asked, right? Laid your son on this altar. He says, I'm going to make a promise to you, right? And this is what he says. But I'm, I'm, I'm going to swear by myself, right? So see, when people swear about, uh, to make a promise, I'm going to come to Bob and say, Bob, I promise I will give you, I'll, you know, if you lend me your car, if you lend me this, I will give it back to you. I promise on my, you know, on my word. I promise on my, you know, my mother's grave, whatever the case may be, right? You promise on something that you think is, is, is more worthy of you to assure that you will be, make good on what you have said. And God says in this passage in Genesis 22 that he's quoting, he's saying, listen, because God could not swear by anyone greater than himself, who's he going to swear by? He swore by himself. Now listen to the commentary. People swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said, and it puts an end to all argument, or you would hope, right? That's, you know, I'm, I'm, making, I'm giving you a guarantee. Because God wanted to make, now watch this, the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things, that's what the word immutable means, right? By two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. Now, why is it impossible for God to lie? Because he doesn't change. He has perfect moral character, and it doesn't change. We who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. This is where it gets practical. We have this hope as an anchor, the rock, same, a different metaphor saying the same thing, for the soul firm and secure. So what is he saying here? He's saying, listen, God's promises, not, because God is unchanging, his promises for you will not change, right? That's the idea. As long as his infinite sameness endures, another way of saying immutable, he won't change his mind about setting his love on you. If he made a promise to you, as he did in Jesus Christ, right? Uh, for God so loved the world that whoever believes in him shall not perish, right? He doesn't wake up and say, well, you were a bad girl today. You were a bad boy today. You did, I'm going to revoke my promise. No. As long as his sameness endures, Jen Wilkin, quoting from her book, he won't change his mind about setting his love on you. Another writer uh, said this, commentator said this, we are refugees from the sinking ship of this present world order, soon to disappear. Our hope is fixed on the eternal order where the promises of God are made good to his people. Our hope is based on those promises, is our spiritual anchor. That is, we are moored to an unmovable, excuse me, immovable object, God himself, right? 
Our salvation rests in the fact that God cannot change into the heart of this message. Our hope rests in the fact that we can change, right? This is what baptism's about. That's why these people and the people in the next service are doing what they're doing. They're saying, listen, am I perfect? No. Is my life, am I complete? No. Do I change? Yes. And many of those changes, right, are, are, are stupid, are, are, are foolish. I must all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But the fact that God doesn't change, right, uh, uh, in my hope, in God rests in the fact that we can change. God can do something in my life. God can do something in your life. In contrast to a God who doesn't change and whose promises are unchangeable, our lives are defined by change, right? Our health is defined by change. Our relationships are defined by change. Listen, our opinions are defined by change. Our whole life, right, is a course of change. In this sense... You might say, we, you and me, all of us, we are mutable, right? What does that mean? It means we are liable to change, right? And we are inconsistent in our behaviors, right? We don't stay the same, and often we do not keep our promises. But there's a great irony in this, okay, that you and I are mutable. Nobody would argue that whether you're 17 or 77 or more in this room, there, I don't think anybody would be foolish enough or naive to say you know, that you never change that I know. Of course we change. But there is an irony when we think about this idea. In our hopelessness sometimes, in our defiance sometimes, we're often convinced of our own kind of immutability. That is to say, we say to ourselves that we are trapped by who we are, right, as people. Or that we are trapped by how we have lived, right? And there are people that say to me a lot, not just mature people or older people, even younger people, that say to me about this, you know, brokenness in their life, about the deep frustration of failure in their life, about some regret or their shame, and they say, listen, I will never change. I cannot change, right? That's, that's, a, that's, a, that's an immobility in a sense. And I, I was having a conversation just uh, this week, within the last 10 days or so, I should say, with a friend of mine that I've known for probably almost my entire life. And, you know, we don't see each other all the time, but we've known each other since we were very young. And we were just hanging out and talking, and he brought up this story of this mutual friend of ours who, um, who had about you know, a handful of years ago had kind of blown up his life. And he had, um, you know, uh, uh, was unfaithful in his marriage, <laughs> lost his marriage, and it was a real sad story. But very recently, um, he's gotten his act together in a manner of speaking, and he's getting back together with his wife. And he just, my, 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 this friend brought this up to me, and he said, did you hear about that? And I said, yeah, I did. And that's very interesting. And he said, but you know what? It'll never last, is what this friend of mine said. And I said, well, why do you say that? He goes, because you know what? People don't change, right? This is who he is. This is how he's lived his life. And even though he's getting back together with his wife, it's sort of who he is. It's, it's, it's wired in his DNA, I think is the, is the metaphor that he used. He will never change, right? You ever feel that way about your life? or about the lives of other people. But see, the gospel presents us with a different alternative, right? right? 
We are not trapped by who we are or how we've lived in the past. Back to James. What does he say in verse 18? He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, right? Now, what's he ta- it's, it's creation language that we might be a kind of first fruits for all he created. It's, cre- it's, it's bathed in creation language, but he's not talking about, you know, Genesis chapter 1. He's talking about people. He chose to give us birth, right? He's talking about the new birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits, an early you know, example of all he created. God is in the business. He's saying the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? The gospel of Jesus Christ is about the renewal of all things. We see, you get to see that by the time the Bible ends. It's not just you know, human hearts. It's, it's, it's the entire uh, earth itself. It's God's entire creation is renewed. And he's saying, listen, God's creation, his new creation, old things pass away, all things are become new. God's new creation, it starts, it's the, the, the commercial for all he's gonna do is in the hearts and lives of people. He's in the hearts and lives of you. God says, listen, Although you may feel like you will never change. Although you may feel like you are trapped by who you are. Listen, that's not the case. God has given us new hope. God has given us new life. There is no heart so hard that he cannot soften it. There is no sin so grave that he cannot forgive, right? Just as the assurance of our salvation rests in the fact that God cannot change, our hope rests in the fact that we can. You believe that? That's what's so amazing about this truth. And finally, finally, as we get ready to take this table, you know, for who is a God besides the Lord and who is the rock except our God? The challenge, the, 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 the takeaway, the, the um, application of this message is you need to build your life on an unchanging God. You gotta choose to do that. Build your life on an unchanging God. Let me just, speaking with this rock imagery, let me look at one more verse with you in Matthew. Back to Jesus' uh, Sermon on the Mount, very James-like. Familiar words. Talks about how to live your life. Good advice on how to live your life, how to, for me and you to live our lives uh, as a follower of Jesus. Matthew 7, 24 to 27. Listen to these words. Therefore, this is the end, by the way, of the Sermon on the Mount. It's interesting that this is the, the most famous sermon of Jesus, the, 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 most, the largest block of teaching, three, three chapters in your New Testament. He decides to end the Sermon on the Mount with a warning, right? It's interesting. He ends it with a warning. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rains came down, the streams rose, The winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock, right? Who is the God besides the Lord and who is a rock except our God? But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man or woman who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew, and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. A couple of comments about this before we take this table. Number one, um, he's talking about here, he's not talking about Christians and non-Christians, okay? 
and you have to take my word for it, but some of you may have done some study in this great Sermon on the Mount, right? He's not, this is not an evangelistic message. This is Jesus. This is, you know, a, a long sit down on a side of a hill with Jesus talking to, at this time, the church as it existed, those, his followers saying, let me, they, answering the question, what difference does it make if God comes into my life? What will life look like? What could life look like if I turn my life over to follow you? Okay, that's what the Sermon on the Mount is about. And he ends it here with a warning saying, listen, there's two kinds of people. There's those kinds of Christians who simply uh, admire God's words, but they, don't, they think that God's words are admirable, right? They may you know, put them on a, 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 a post. They may put them, you know, uh, hold them in their pocket. They may come to church. They may admire God's words, right? They're encouraging, but they don't believe, ask yourself if you're this person, that you actually can live by them, right? Well, I admire them but I don't really think I can live by them, right? That's what he's kind of challenging here. The second person is the, the house that crashes or the life that crashes believes that Jesus' words are important enough to hear, but they're not realistic enough to live, right? That's what you want to ask yourself as you think about building your life on the rock. The second thing he's going to say here similarly is listen, right? When he says, therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and decides to build your life on them. He's not saying the house is sort of a metaphor for your life. He's not saying this house, your life, is going to you know, uh, glow in the dark. He's not saying that you know, it's going to uh, miraculously expand into a mansion. That's not you know, that kind of theology you hear on late night uh, Christian television. That's what he's saying. He's, in fact, he's saying, listen, if you decide to build your life on the unchangeable promises of God, He's, saying, he's, he's not saying there's anything actually particularly impressive about your life. I don't know if I'm that person who says, I'm going to build my life. It's been 35 years uh, since I became, Christ became my Savior. That anyone's going to look at me and say, there's anything particularly impressive about my life. You know, that I drive a fancy car, that I have a beautiful home, that, you know, my health is better than anybody else's, that I'm any more intelligent, that my IQ is any different. None of those things are said here in this very, you know, sort of honest and sober warning. What he's saying is, what's particular about this person who builds their life on the rock is simply that their lives withstood the storms and changes of life. That's what he says, right? The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew, and beat against that house, okay? Now, it's a metaphor. He's saying, listen, life is going to be difficult, and the older you get, the more that you know that. That's not a, uh, uh, as a Christian, someone who decides to throw their lot with, with, with Jesus Christ and live for him. It doesn't mean you're going to have your problems go, uh, the problems of life are going to go away. That life's going to become easier. That's why some of us, our friends, uh, or, or some of us, have been in the church and then dipped out because difficulties came, the rains came, the floods came, and we decided that means God must not love me. No, it's not what Jesus says. What's unique about this person, right? The, 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 pro, the, the words of Jesus, if you're not spared trouble, right? If you're a Christian, it's not what he's saying. And you're not protected from trouble. Think about that. Challenge your theory. Are you protected from trouble? Am I protected from trouble because I have Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior? I don't see that in the Bible. I don't see that in this 
closing remarks of Jesus. What he's saying is not you're protected from trouble, but you're protected in trouble, right? That's what he's saying. The winds blew, the rains came, the stream rose, but it did not fall because its foundation was on the rock. Okay, that's what he's saying. There's a lot of people uh, in, 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 the, in, in this world, in the church, perhaps in this church, who admire the words of Jesus, but who haven't built their lives on the immovable, unchangeable words of Jesus. That's what the application of this message is, right? The power behind the words of Jesus is the real presence of Jesus, right? That's what this table illustrates. He is in his word, and what Jesus is saying here in this amazing sermon, right? But what, what Peter is saying, what I'm saying is this. The Christian life, right? I'm not talking about where you're going when you die. I'm talking about the Christian life. I'm talking about um, it, to do immeasurably more than we ever asked or imagined, the power of God in your life. I'm talking about not the Sermon on the Mount, for instance, sounds like very interesting, inspiring living. I'm talking about living your life that way, right? The Christian life cannot be lived without a living relationship with the God who are behind those words, right? That's what James is saying. Every perfect gift comes down from the Father um, uh, who created the heavenly lights, of who there is no shadow of turning. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And his promises, his unchangeable purposes, Hebrews chapter 6, they are true for your life. But see, you have to, you have to commit and root your life on them every single day, right? That's really what these guys are doing. Right? That, now, baptism, there's a once in, there's a, we do this once because it's a declaration. It's a declaration to say, listen, at some point in the recent past, I trusted Christ for my salvation. I put my faith and trust in what he did, and he gave me the gift of eternal life. I quoted that a few minutes ago. But then I'm publicly saying, right, once and for all in the room of friends in, in, in my church to say, listen, I want to build my life on him. I want to build my life on his words. And although you only get baptized once, if you really want to be able to live the Christian life as it's outlined in the great uh, Sermon on the Mount, you have to, in a manner of speaking, make that declaration every single day of your life, right? There's two kinds of Christians. Those who admire the words of God, I do, and those who say, I want to live the words of God. Can't do that unless you are tethered, unless you are connected, unless you build your life on the person behind those words, right? For who is a God besides the Lord and who is the rock except our God? Jesus, not, Jesus died not only as a punishment for your sin and my sin. That's what that celebration's about. That's what we're going to celebrate right here, Right? It's, a cell, it's, a, it's an acknowledgement, but he didn't just die to, as a punishment for your sin, but to provide you a power to live a different kind of life, one that is not trapped by who you are or shaped uh, by how you lived, but reflective of who he is, 
and what he has done. Let me close with this verse and we'll uh, take this table. Psalm 62, 1. I call as my heart grows faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I, right? This is a prayer you could pray uh, every day, but as we, take, as we prepare for this table, right, we come to this table to acknowledge what it is that God has done for us in Jesus and to invite his power into our life, to invite his love into our life. And I would challenge all of you who are Christians here to, it's an opportunity to recommit your life to not just admiring the words of God, but to building your life on the God behind those words. I call as my heart grows faint, right? All of our hearts. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Amen? So we're going to um, have the pass out these elements and hold on to them, and then we will take them together in just a few minutes. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to be in this room. Thank you for uh, those who inspired uh, all of us by, by publicly declaring their faith and commitment in the gift of God in Jesus Christ. And Lord, now the rest of us, as we sit in this uh, service, I pray, as we take this table, those of us who've, who've also made that decision, may we recommit our hearts, recommit our lives um, to, to um, the words, not only the words of Jesus, but to the person of Jesus. May we build our lives on his words, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.